This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We usually speak about somebody whose yard site is going to be in the coming month. And the person who I would like to speak about today is, was Rabbi Yitzhak Abarbanel. His yard site is Chavkes Tishrei. We're not going to have a lot of market to them, so now's the time to speak about it. Um, first of all, I usually like to say where I get my information from, because, I mean, how do we know something about somebody who lived, you know, five, six hundred years ago? Um, so stories that people write, uh, I mean, there's, there's no end to stories you can write. So we have, in the Barbernell, we're fortunate, we have his own stories in his forum, in his Akdomis, because of what he went through, a lot of what he went through, he um, recorded it. He, he, he wrote Shvachas HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he pours out his, his tzaris, so in his Akdomis to a lot of his forum, he talks about things that happened to him, and the, the basic outline of his life is, is in those Akdomis. They're not that easy to read, they're kind of poetic, so, and he doesn't spell out everything 100%, and it's, it's a rich Hebrew, but Tachlis, the information, the basic information about his life is there. Um, a person who wrote uh, a, what's considered to be a definitive work is somebody called Bensi Netanyahu, whose son is more famous as Bibi Netanyahu. He was a professor of different Semitic languages and history and things like that. He specialized in the Spanish era, and he put out a book, in, it, it's in English, it, it was put out three times, um, half of it is a biography, half of it is a discussion of his, of his different um, approaches and so on. Like, like all the historians, and I think more so, there's, there's, the, um, there's the facts the sources that he brings, that he un- he has some primary sources, documents in, in, in you know of Spanish documents. He has interpretation of it, and then he has his own take on everything, which again you can separate out and, and leave it. I mean, his own take is very political. He has his own approach to things. Well, you know, that's it's not something that we would consider. But I'll upon him as far as the basic facts goes and what's reliable, what's not, it, it, that's a very good source for it in English, and he sticks to, to the basic information. Um, the the, the Barbanels lived, he was one of those people who lived in the most extraordinary Tukuf and Kalisos times, Geras Farat. He was arguably the, one of two possibly big figures um, who were in that time. And, um, and his life carries an extraordinary marks of, of the time. He was born in 1437 in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, he, they claimed a yichas from David HaMelech. Um, they had yichas going back a few days, and it was, it was considered to be a family that comes from David HaMelech. They were an extraordinarily prominent family. His father was one of the most connected, wealthy families in, in, in Portugal, Spain, in the Iberian Peninsula. 
he was extremely wealthy, his father, and some sort of high rank by the king. And the Abarbanel himself would become an extraordinarily wealthy man and extraordinarily well-connected. Um, there was um, where he got started from. His grandfather, Reb Shmuel Abarbanel, it's quite clear that Lower Leno, he had Shmat. Um, it wasn't clear under the duress how, what happened exactly, but he was one of those who converted to Christianity, and when he escaped from Spain to Portugal, re, you know, dropped it. And I, I, want, I want to um, say some background information, which I think is important. The Spanish Gullus was an unusual Gullus in that Spain was a very developed country. It was nice, it was wealthy, it had rich um, cultural trappings to it. The Jews were extremely interwoven in the society and they, they, um, they competed with the Spanish in wealth, in, in, they partook in a culture, it, there was an extreme acculturation of the um, Jews over there in, in, in Spain. There were people that that became converted, that converted to Christianity because they actually f- fell for it. Small, very small amount, but that happened. There were people who recognized that they couldn't really make that final move to, 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 to get to, to have what they wanted without converting. They converted. There were people that were forced to convert. Um, there was all sorts of pressures. And the, 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 a, a king would catch you and whatever it is, and there would be a lot of pressure on you to convert on the threat of death, on the threat of taking away your family, and so on. Um, in 1391, I think almost 50% of Spanish Jews converted. There were pogroms and, and stuff like that. It was very rough times, very terrible times, and it was it was a lot more complicated. The the the, the history that we give over is just everyone's heroes and they, al kiddush Hashem. There were many that that went al kiddush Hashem, but unfortunately many not. Uh, we don't know exactly what, but his grandfather seemed to have been, and his grandfather shook it off. And escaped, so obviously must have been under some sort of duress and so on. Um, the, the so he himself was born in Lisbon, in 1437, I believe it was, and he was the um, and he was born to wealth, to power, and so on. We we don't know much about his early years. We know he'd learned in the yeshiva of Maria Buov, not the first one, but the second one. His first book that he wrote was. A purely secular type of book. It dealt with the with the with the sodos and the tsuros. It, it was something which had zero shaykhs, no psukim, no chazal, nothing. It was a learned work, almost considered science in those days. That was his early years, as much as we know. Um, he grew up in Lisbon. The king's name was Alfonso. He was he had a very good relationship with the Jews. And most of the time, these good relationships were there because they needed the Jews. And he got along well. The first recorded, the first thing we have recorded of him as a leadership position was um, 
the, the, the King Alfonso um, conquered parts of Morocco. He, um, he took many caps, many, he, 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 he took many people captive, sold them as slaves. Amongst them were 250 Jews. The Barbanel, um, the one we're talking about, uh, Danitska Barbanel, took a tremendous leadership role and he organized a campaign across Spain to raise money to, to, to redeem these Jews. I mean, if, if he didn't redeem these Jews, they would be sold as slaves anywhere. And he redeemed them, helped them resettle, helped them get on their feet, and so on. It took a tremendous amount of money, obviously because people knew that Jews would redeem, would redeem slaves. He had to negotiate with, with many, many different captors, and it took a lot of negotiating skill, it took a lot of um, effort, a lot of money, and he, and he organized, I don't know if it was a matching campaign, but it was, it was something he organized in, in the entire um, Iberian island, a campaign to raise money and to redeem these people and settle them. That's the first record we have of him taking on a leadership role commensurate with, with, with his standing, with, his, with, with you know, what he was and who he was. The, um, like I said before, King Alfonso was extremely um, he, 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 friendly with the Barbanel family, and they had a great relationship. Now Barbanel was an extremely wealthy man and well-connected. The king died in 1481, and the next king that took over, his name was Juo, the second, and he was extremely paranoid about the relationship of the strong and wealthy landowners. I, I want to explain two things about the history of these places for a long time that, that we have a hard time understanding. First thing is, we think of a country today, Spain. A size of Spain was really quite impossible to govern. You're talking about a huge country. Uh, it's not huge when you have a car and a telephone and, 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 and an airport. But when you're doing it by horseback, it's incredibly big. And there were no countries, viable countries, those sizes. So Spain was divided into a dozen different countries. Uh, you know, sort of um, county, Dutch, duchies and counties and all sorts of things, but th there, were, th there were smaller units, like the size of a state, of a province, was much more manageable. So those were real units. In European history also, um, it, it, uh, provinces were units that were stable because they made sense, they were geographically made sense, and they were small enough to run you know, in the, uh, using the primitive ways of communication. Um, countries were the beginning of empires, and they usually lasted for a small time, someone conquered it, and so on. It's true of Spain, it's true of Italy, it's true of everywhere. They, they, all these places that today we think of as countries, really, so Spain had many, many sub-countries, which were countries. Um, secondly, there, there, there was always a tension between the king and the, and the, and the, and the people who owned the, 
castles and the fiefdoms. Who is the boss? Is the king the boss and they're servants of his? Or are they the, the rulers and he's a figurehead for the country? So, so there was always a tension between the two. This king became king and, he, and, and either it was true or he was paranoid about it. He decided that the nobles are plotting against him and therefore he tricked them and had them killed. He also thought a Barbanel, Jabisco Barbanel, is, um, is involved in plotting against him, and he invited him for a meeting to the castle. Somebody met him, met Barbanel right before he's going there, and told him, the meeting is there to kill you. It's a trap to kill you. He agonized, and he decided they're right. He ran away that night from Portugal to Spain. To Spain meaning, you know, one of the Spanish places. Um, he, he was very shrewd because he knew they'd be watching and looking for him. So he did a very circuitous route. He ran away, leaving his family behind, wife and kids, and all his money. Um, the king was very upset. The king um, either it confirmed his fears or whatever. And Abarmel wrote a very strong letter protesting his innocence and not to no avail. Lemaise, they confiscated everything he owned. You know, in those days, money was very not portable. Um, you could, you know, you had fields, you had houses, you, you couldn't, once you left the country, they were gone. Um, even money, I mean, there's, there's a limit to how many gold coins you can put in your, in your pocket when you're running away. So basically, he went overnight from a very wealthy, established Hasheva personality to being a homeless pauper. He ran away to Spain. He managed to get his wife and kids there and resettled pretty much a poor person. This is where he wrote his first Sefer. Oh, he had written before. He had started writing Sefer before, but he sat and he wrote Akdama that he was misboining why it is that all this befell him. And he writes, this is Akdama to Yeshua. And he says, it, he came to the realization it's because he was so concerned about his material well-being and not about his ruchnius and his ruchnius to commission. And therefore, Kaddish Baruch had punished him. And he sat, and in four and a half months, he wrote Yesh, the, his Dabarbanel and Yeshua Shaftim and Shmuel. He finished it. It's quite a large amount. If you look at Barbanel, Barbanel does not spare words. It's a huge amount of work in four and a half months. Um, and he finished it. The, um, the king of Spain, this is, you're talking about the 1483, was our beloved Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, those who know them from Columbus, or those who know them from Geras Farad, they were the king. They were busy fighting a war with Granada, which was a Moorish kingdom in Spain. The Moors were an, an, an African Muslim tribe. Bechlal, Spain, Spain had over the years um, fights between the Muslims and the Christians. 
um, and the, uh, the you know and, and the mice the Christians had basically cleared out the Iberian Peninsula, and Granada was was the last Moorish stronghold, and it was involved in a very tough war. Wars cost money, and he was out of money, Ferdinand, and he'd heard that the Barbanel um, really had a lot of uh, uh, financial smarts, and he called him for a meeting, him and the queen, they made him in charge of getting the finances, finding money, borrowing money, rearranging, restructuring stuff, and he was there for them for the next eight years or so, he became a treasurer, and he became the one who um, basically found the money for it until he defeated, um, a few years later, he defeated the Moors, drove them out. Now that the Muslims were gone from the peninsula, so the next people were the Jews. And he basically, um, he basically decreed that the Jews would leave Spain. The, um, the Barmel writes about this. He said he came to plead to him. Three times he came to plead to him. And he told him it's the queen's fault. She's the one who is behind it. Um, he spoke to her. He got no traction. Um, the Galach was involved also. Um, it's very unclear who was manipulating who or if everybody was together. Um, it, it could be that the real, the, real, um, the, the real force was the Galach and they were like under his spell. There is other Shittas that they were interested in getting rid of, of the Jews and the Galach was very convenient. They were both, uh, both of them, he, the king wanted the money and there was also a lot of the people wanted the Jews out because the Jews were taking the jobs of the middle class and so on. Be it as it may, they were resolute that they're throwing the Jews out. The Barbanel offered money and he offered a huge amount of money and the king actually flinched and like maybe it was, it's worth it. The, uh, there's a story, and this is not documented, but it's a story that uh, was uh, that went around a lot. So, and it makes sense that when he began wavering because of the amount of money that they, they was offered, the Galak was there, and he threw the cr- the cross on the ground, and he said to King, "You're going to be the second Judas that will have sold out our Lord for money." And that was really, that, that was too difficult for him to swallow, and that forced his mind. I, I don't know, I, I bet some have a Shiloh of why money would at all affect the king, because at the end they threw the Jews out and took the money anyway. So they, they, they got the best of all worlds. They, they didn't need the Jews there with the money unless they thought ahead, and they didn't realize that they're killing the goose that's laying the golden egg, which is what happened. But right now, by throwing the Jews out penniless, which what they did, there was, um, there was uh, everything would be for them. Al Capanim, he, he told the Barbanel, he pleaded with Barbanel to convert because um, he liked the Barbanel a lot, he wanted him there. 
there was another Rav who was called like the Zkaner Abanim, somebody named Rav Sanyor, who was 80, he actually converted. But most of the, the vast majority of the Jews at that time did not. And in 1492, 300,000 Jews, which was the remnants of the Jews in Spain, with the Barbanel left. I want to explain what it meant. Leaving the Golos of Sfarat was a... It wasn't just moving from America to Canada. A, there was no place to go. France had thrown out the Jews. England had thrown out the Jews. Germany was a horrible place. There were no places. Two, um, wherever, wherever they went, uh, if they went more than a few people, the, the, the country, if they could find a country that wanted them, didn't want to have many Jews. The, the, the anti were everywhere. There was no work, no jobs. Jews had businesses, connections. They were coming to a place. Imagine somebody takes you and parachutes you into Mozambique and you're stuck there for the rest of your life. What do you do? How do you, you, you don't know language, you don't know what to do, you have, you have nothing. That was, the, that was the situation that they were being thrust in. They couldn't take along any money. Um, the, the, the voyage on the ships was horrible. The, 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 the captain of the ships took advantage of them. They ended up, some of them, on, many of them on islands um, dying of thirst. It, it was a horrible, horrible... It wasn't going to a different country and relocating. It was basically being thrown off the cliff and hoping that they find a soft spot where something cushions their blow. That was it. They, in the big picture, many went to Turkey, some went to Amsterdam. The Barbanel chose to go to Italy, and again, Italy was also not a country in those days. There were many little... Most, most countries in Italy, most provinces did not let Jews in. Naples was involved in wars with other ones, and they took in Jews. Same, same spur, same reason. And the Barbanel ended up over there in Naples. The, um, and he began writing. Now, he wrote Sfarim about Geula, about Mashiach. He, I think he felt it was a Tzorah HaShah. He was Mechazik, the Jews, because they were really broken. The Christians told them, your people are despised by your God. See what's happened to you. You see we're right, that God is sick and tired of Israel, and therefore, with a true religion, you should convert. And, and, and that was the matzah. This was the bulk of, of, of Kali Yisrael, and they were being thrown out to the dogs. He was very machazic them, and he wrote sforim, a bunch of sforim on different topics, um, Mashiach, the Geula, the Zman, the Geula, and so on. And he became again, so this, this is the, the, the third time round, he became successful, wealthy, and he became a treasure of the King of Naples. The King of France um, was fighting, and he conquered Naples, and the Barmel had to run again. And again, run, leave everything behind. And he wandered a bit to Corfu, Sicily. Less years, he ended up in Venice, which, um, which he was able to live in. When he died, Jews were not allowed to be buried in Venice, and they buried him in Padua. That was the course that he took. 
in that in the, in that second half of his life, he wrote his his um, his forum on Chumash. He wrote finished on, on Tanakh, on Navi, on Neviim with Daniel. He did. He wrote this forum on Mashiach. Um, uh, it, like it's three forums that deal with Geula. Then he wrote um, Sefer on Ashkocha. He wrote a Sefer Sfarim on the Rambam on part of Nevuchim. He wrote a Pirish on Pirke Ovis. He wrote a Pirish on, um, on, on the Haggadah of Pesach, and so on. An incredible volume of um, written material for somebody who was. I mean, he had gone through what he went through and, and wasn't sitting in one place at one time. It's, it, it, what we have of him as Sfarim is an incredible Yerusha. First of all, A, he actually happened to be mentioned in Halacha. And people don't know it, but the Beis Yosef brings him down at least once. The... the, the um, the Chidot says he brings him a few times. I found once, a computer check, once in Hilchis Brachis, he speaks about, um, you know, when something is Mizaynis, and he quotes the Barbanel, and, and so on. The, the Ramon, Dr. Moshe, brings him in Hilchis Hamatayra, and here and there he's quoted um, in Halacha. So obviously he was a Talmud Chacham, if, if, if the Beis is quoting him, as a mocker for for halacha, he was obviously considered. Beisayisov was a contemporary. He was much younger, but he but he overlapped. So, so it, it, I mean, they obviously considered each other. And he considered him to be a, a posik worthy of quoting. His svarim on Navi became, in many ways, the Malbum rites that he used Abarbanel as his basis for a lot of what he wrote. And Barbanel and Sfarim will, will, will give some, some of the tchunis. First of all, he's encyclopedic. He brings what everyone else had written, and he, he, he argues with it many times, but he brings down everything before him. There are tainas that sometimes he quoted people without mentioning name, but by and large, he, he, he brings um, everything that was before him, Barachi. He brings on Indian. His style in in Nevi'im is he has like an, in Chumash and, and he he writes. He starts off with a huge amount of questions, and then he says he sold and he retitles the psukim and reteaches everything and so on and so forth. Um, he has it in for the Spanish um, that were that were drawn in by philosophy. In other words, he did not go with the kav of, of the earliest ones who basically philosophized the teichen of Tanakh. He was, he was not for that. He writes that he doesn't know Kabbalah, but, that, but Kabbalah is the Chachmas Emes. He quotes the Zohar a bunch of times. He alludes to Kabbalah. It definitely comes across that Kabbalah is the right way to go, and, and there's enough there that it's clear that he had some degree of familiarity, if not more. He does, um, he has some interesting things that are unusual. 
um, he quotes Christian sources and will ex- so sometimes, a lot of times, he goes t- to argue with them. The big, the big issue was that Mashiach Kamanat, what is this Nevu is referring to, and so on. And he obviously makes it his business to take apart the Christian arguments and, and to basically demolish them. But every so often he will quote a Christian source and say he feels that, that he has the right shot and use it. It's, it's, it's a highly unusual thing, especially for somebody who's being persecuted by Christians. He still would use the Pirish if he felt it was, it was a right. Um, he also, Chazal on Inyonim of Agadita, he treats it in a way where you could argue with them and say Pshat differently, which wasn't uncommon in the earliest form, but it's, it, you know, after that, it stopped becoming acceptable. But so he would do that. He holds the Rambam in high esteem, except, high esteem, except, you know, he argues on some points. He has a safer Roisha Mana on the Yud Gimel Ikrim of the Rambam and defends the Rambam against those who hold as a different number of Ikrim and who will argue with the Rambam. He's, he's a stout defender of it. Um, there are places where he defends the Rambam but doesn't hold like the Rambam. And he writes someplace the following quip This is the opinion of Rabbeinu Moshe, but not of Moshe Rabbeinu. In, in other words, you know, I'm saying pshat in, 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 in the Rambam, and, and he defer, he's in the Rambam tremendously, but he holds in certain places, he's not right. Um, but I'll upon him, in general, he does. Um, those, those are some interesting nakudas about this forum of, of, of his. The, um, the, the, you know, he, 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 he basically sealed a tkufa he is the godel that went that into exile with the Spanish Jews. Um, he he was the the leading figure. He he um, writes a lot of times, um, expressing why he feels a Kaddish Baruch who brought it on them. He feels that they had become too materialistic, too enamored with philosophy. Um, he writes his criticisms here and there. He, um, he, he also is very mechazic people that, that all of this is a preparation for the Geula, that the Geula is, is, is Karavlios, uh, Emunah, Mashiach, and so on. He himself, there's another tragedy he suffered in this process. His son writes in a, in a kina or piyot something to the effect of having his own child stole stolen by the Goyim, kidnapped, baptized, they wouldn't give him back. Um, it, it, because it's a period form, it's not a clear where the circumstances were, but it's clear that that happened. There are, there, are, uh, there are stories that at the end they were able to smuggle him out again when he was a grown-up. I don't know. You know it's, the first part is certainly expressed in the kinna, but more than that is not, uh, you know, it's not clear. Like upon him, his life was an extraordinary life in a very turbulent times. And the fact that a person was able to be such an accomplished businessman, so, such an incredible leader, and a Talmud Chacham of note, I mean, the fact that the Beis quotes him Lalacha, the Dr. Moshe Lalacha, the fact that he wrote the huge amount that he wrote, 
and the th- and and his farim are in Navi especially are foundational. This is you know the Malbim said this is this is what he used as his base. Um, it's an incredible accomplishment, and it's for somebody to have to start over three, four times. It, 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 we, we, can you imagine somebody losing everything he possesses, being thrown out, homeless, and deciding that the reason why it's like why this has happened to me is because I haven't devoted my time to Talmud Torah. It happened another time to him, and another time, thrown out of Portugal, thrown out of Spain, thrown out of Naples, wandered back and forth. I'm not sure what the what the story was with Sicily or Corfu. Um, but Al Capone did not have a settled life, an easy life, and yet produced so much, um, which which is ladirus. The, um, the 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 this was it. He in in many ways in his forum encapsulated Kufa Sfarat, the, the the extraordinary diuk on Mikra. The um, philosophy, and then the pushback against philosophy, the, the the acceptance, the emergence of Kabbalah, all all that is is reflected in the Sfarim, and, and and you see it that way. Upon him, his uh, his yard side is Choftes Tishrei, and it's it's an extraordinary life and extraordinary times. Um, you know, most people don't most people speak about the heroics of the Anusim song, but to understand the tragedy of of, of it. I mean, how many Jews, Shmat, we don't talk about, it's a very, very sad parsha. The, the, the terrible, terrible, I mean, being exiled from, from um, Spain was, was akin to being in a spaceship and told to leave. There was no place to go. It, it, basically, people going to a death by, by sea, death by starvation, death by animals, death by robbers. That's where they were going to. And he stood there and was machazik, held the hands, and basically transitioned the new door that that rose afterwards. Okay.